Hello, welcome to Adventures Among Ideas. So, a while ago, I was, uh, I talked on my podcast about the limits of pluralism debate. This was in literary criticism about how we can know what we're, uh, if we're getting a correct interpretation of literature, or if there is a correct interpretation of literature. Um, how do we know what the limits are to uh, interpretation? And you might be familiar with the concept of postmodernism, which gets bad press now and now and again. Uh, one of the ideas behind postmodernism is that there is no one true interpretation of a text, uh, and an extreme radical postmodernist might say that all interpretations are equally good or equally valuable, for example, equally valid. Anyway, one of the ideas that came out of this debate is that the limits on interpretation might be ethical, so they might not be somehow uh, internal to the text or whatever, but they might be ethical, which, um, you know, and what does that mean? Well, the idea of an ethics of criticism or an ethics of reading was explored by at least two of the participants of that older limits of pluralism debate. And I want to talk about one of them today, and this is the literary critic J. Hillis Miller. So in 1987, Miller published a book and an article titled The Ethics of Reading. Both of them had the same name, The Ethics of Reading. He was uh, trying to find out what is the responsibility of the reader to the work of literature? What is our ethical obligation to a piece of writing, a work of literature? Uh, the reader confronts a piece of writing and necessarily responds to it. Uh, so what is involved here that could be considered ethical, right? Ethical we usually think of as having something to do with uh, how we act, our behavior. So when we're reading, we're necessarily acting. We're involved in some kind of behaving and some kind of acting. So how is ethics involved in this? So in the essay that Miller wrote, which I want to focus on here, um, he's focusing more on the teacher of literature, but I think what he says is not only applicable to teachers. I mean, more of it, some of it is more generally oriented to just the reader, but as a teacher of literature, I suppose he's specifically focused on the teaching of literature and the place of teaching literature within the institution. Um, but Miller gives three essentials of ethical reading, so three kind of main features he wants to bring out that are involved in an ethics of reading. I don't know that I necessarily agree with all of these, but I think it's at least a good starting point if you want to think about what an ethical reading practice might look like. I think this is maybe a good place to start, or as good a place to start as any, I suppose. Um, so the first element, I want to look at these each of these elements that he gives. So the first element of an ethics of reading applies more to teachers, um, but some aspects of it will apply to any reader. So Miller writes, the primary ethical obligation of the teacher of literature is to the work of literature. If there is a conflict between that and the teacher's obligation to students in one direction, direction and to the institution in the other, the obligation to the work takes precedence by an implacable law of reading. So this is somewhat surprising, I think. Um, and so it, it takes, I think, a little bit of work to figure out well, why this makes sense. You know, how can you be obligated to a text? You know, kind of like this non-human object. Um, 
why should that take precedence? Why should this text take precedence over um, the institution or the student? So you might think that a, a teacher's primary ethical obligation is to their students. I mean, this would be kind of a common sense way to look at it, and maybe the way that I would uh, at least first tend to see the situation. But really, this is not quite so clear when you think about it, when you think about it more carefully. So you could similarly argue that a history teacher's primary ethical obligation is to history. Right? If you say the, the teacher of literature's obligation is to literature, the history teacher's obligation is to history, the math teacher's primary ethical obligation is to mathematics. Um, so if you think about it this way, the discipline or the tradition of literature or history or math um, is something larger than the students, right? It existed before the students, it will exist after the students, it existed before the institution, uh, the university, it will exist after the university, presumably. And um, it may be the case that if the teacher is not ultimately responsible to the tradition, whether it's um, literature or history or whatever, then it doesn't serve the students. So it might be part of the teacher's ethical obligation to the students to actually be more obligated to the subject matter, right? So prior to the students, the teacher has to be obligated to the, the tradition, and maybe this actually is in the interest of the students. This is arguable, of course. Um, <clears throat> and what is the, so what is the obligation to literature? So this is, um, he says, the obligation to literature means telling it like it is, basically. This actually comes out of Matthew Arnold. So that you hear sometimes references to uh, Matthew Arnold and how we should approach a work of literature. So you can avoid teaching a work, right? You could avoid teaching a work if you think it will have bad effects on students. So this might be part of your ethics. But if you do teach a work, you need to tell it like it is, as uh, maybe Matthew Arnold and as J. Hillis Miller would put it. So, and this means first being a good reader of the work, which for Miller means being a non-canonical reader. And what does this mean, being a non-canonical reader? For Miller, this means being willing to, as he says, recognize the unexpected, perhaps even the shocking or scandalous, present even in canonical works, perhaps especially in canonical works in Homer, Dante, or Shakespeare, in Milton, or Wordsworth. These are, of course, canonical authors. Um, so you need to work, you need to look at each work with fresh eyes, I think he's saying here, and be prepared for something unexpected to emerge. So don't just go with the kind of standard interpretation, really look at it afresh and be willing to be surprised. And Miller writes this pretty interesting description of what he means. He says, the rare ability to see the object, in this case a poem, a novel, a play, or a work of philosophy, as in itself it really is, to borrow Arnold's phrasing again, is the one thing necessary in the good teacher of literature. The strangest and most surprising things are present in those great books if we have the wit to see them. Those canonized classics remain in the libraries and bookstores or on our own shelves at home like so many unexploded time bombs ready to go off when there is the conjunction of the work and the good reader of that work. Such conjunctions make something happen and have their ethical effects, but what these may be can never be certainly predicted in advance. <clears throat> 
And I like that idea of unexploded time bombs, these classic works being unexploded time bombs that when you get kind of the um, addition of the reader can go off in unexpected ways. So, and this is a clever description, of course, but I have to wonder about this um, idea of seeing a piece of literature as it really is. I mean, how do you know, how does the reader know if he or she is seeing it as it really is? What are the criteria here? And what if the canonical reading or the standard reading of the, the work is how the work really is? I mean, how do we know that? Um, is sim it seems like simply being non-canonical is not just good enough to show that we're seeing something as it really is. Um, and I haven't really found a, a good answer to this in Miller's work, which is why, although I find Miller to be a very clever reader and writer, even one of the, the best in the business, so to speak, um, this is why there, I find a certain shallowness in Miller's work. You know, there are some, some ways uh, his thinking doesn't go down deep enough. Uh, but anyway, moving on, let's move on to the second point. So the next part of his ethics of reading is that it must be philological which is to say based on a study of language. Literature is language, and so an ethical reading or teaching of literature must be based on a love for language, a care for language, and for what language can do. This is Miller's words. So based on a love for language, a care for language, and for what language can do. So the study of literature is, first of all, poetics and rhetoric. It's about poetics, how the thing is made, about rhetoric, about the kind of figures of speech and so on, how language is used, and not primarily, or not first at least, about history or ideas and things like that. So in other words, the main focus should be on how language is used, on the use of language, not on history or sociology or politics or things like that. First, you have to understand how language works before you can get to history, politics, morality, and all those other things. And I think this makes a certain amount of, a certain amount of sense Literature is a way of using language, and so it makes sense to be language-centered when you approach literature, right? Just as the discipline is bigger than the teacher and the student, and which is the thing they are primarily obligated to, you could say that language is bigger than literature and the thing that literature is obligated to, right? So just as the teacher is obligated to literature for, first and foremost, to be obligated to literature is to be obligated first and foremost to language, or at least um, uh, focused on, interested in language first and foremost, since language is a part, uh, literature is a part of language. Yeah, so it makes sense for the uh, reader to focus on language first and foremost. Uh, and then the third one, the third part of the ethics of reading is that to be a good reader, you need to read the original work. Reading a translation, Miller says, is better than nothing, but a translation is not inherently more reliable than a teacher or a secondary text which tells you about the work. So a translation is basically someone telling you what the work is about rather than the work itself. So reading a translation is not, in Miller's view, fulfilling your ethical obligation to the work. And I find this to be a tricky point. Um, I agree to some extent, but against maybe what Miller says here, I would say that a translation is still a work. It's not the same, as, of course, obviously it's not the same as the work it's a translation of, but it is 
its own kind of thing, its own work, right? So you could argue that the reader of a tr translation has ethical obligations to that translation as a translation, while the translator, right, the person who made the translation has ethical obligations to the work that was translated, right? So there's maybe these different ethical obligations here where the translator is kind of a reader of the original work and explainer of the original work, while the reader of the translation has ethical obligations to the translation and maybe through that to the work, the original work in some way. I don't know, this gets a little bit complicated. So a reader um, of a translation maybe cannot be said to be a good reader in Miller's terms of the original work, but might be a good reader of the translation, right? Um, so Miller might say that this is not good enough, but uh, you know, as someone who has done a lot of a lot of translation, I have to have sympathy for translators. All right. Anyway, to review, Miller gave us three features of an ethics of reading. So good reading or teaching of literature must be non-canonical, which is to say open to the surprising. Um, it must be philological or based on a careful study of language. And lastly, it must be uh, based on the original language text. So th uh, this is not really intended by Miller to be a complete ethics, not by any means, but it was a sketch of features that he thought were necessary, if not sufficient, for an ethics of reading. All right, so that's all I want to talk about today. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.